evidence and answers. New Testament scholar and best-selling author Bart Erham states that the New Testament contains historically unreliable information and that many of the books are written by unknown authors, generations later, who claim to be the apostles, but were not. Christianity is built upon the life of Jesus as recorded in the New Testament, but are the Gospels historically reliable documents? Have they been well-preserved over 2,000 years? You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Sukrin. Pat is a scholar, author, and international speaker on apologetics, the defense of the faith. The Gospels are the crucial documents telling us about the life of Christ. Are they fact or fiction? Let's join Pat now as he presents the second half of his case for the historical reliability of the Gospels. What's interesting is in 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul quotes the Gospel of Luke. Therefore, the Gospel of Luke was around, Paul knew about it, and he quoted it. And also, when you read Acts, it ends on a very strange note. It ends, Paul was under house arrest, and people were freely able to come and go and visit him. And that's how it ends. Luke never records the death of his two most important leaders of the early church. We know that Peter and Paul died in about 65 AD under the persecution of Nero. And Luke never records that. More than that, he does not include other events that surround the fall of the Jerusalem temple. There's no reference to the Jewish war between the Jews and the Romans, which began in 66 AD, which led to the destruction of the Jerusalem temple and the city of Jerusalem. There's no hint of Nero's persecutions of the church, some of the most severe in which the church's major leaders were martyred in 65 AD. Paul is still alive in the book of Acts. Peter is still alive. James, the early leader of the church, according to Josephus, was martyred in 62 AD. And he's still alive in the book of Acts. All of this shows that Acts was probably completed before 62 AD. And remember, the Gospel of Luke precedes Acts. And scholars agree, Matthew and Mark precede the Gospel of Luke. Let me present to you a simple example. Suppose you went to the library and picked up a book on the history of New York City. Now suppose you open to the first page, which includes the copyright and publishing dates, are missing. So you don't know when this book was written. Well, you skim through the book, but when you get to the end, you realize there's no mention of the fall of the World Trade Centers or the events that followed 9-11-2001. There's no mention of the key figures, Mayor Rudolph Giuliani, Governor Pataki, and other key figures. What would you conclude? Well, the most logical conclusion you would arrive at is that this book was completed prior to 2001. Same here in the book of Acts. The Gospel of Luke precedes the book of Acts. Matthew and Mark precede the Gospel of Luke. So if Acts is completed before 62 AD, Luke is completed before that, Matthew and Mark is completed before that, you see how we're really moving that timeline up. Therefore, the Gospels and Acts are written well within the first century AD, well within the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. Now, we have external evidence that supports a very early date as well. The documentary evidence, the ancient manuscripts we have of the New Testament, far surpasses any other ancient work of its time. When it comes to the New Testament, 
We have over 5,000 ancient Greek manuscripts, some dating as early as 120 AD. Here's just a few key documents that demonstrate how early the Gospels are written. Now, an important manuscript is the Chester Beatty Papyri. It's one of the earliest canons of the New Testament. It contains most of the New Testament books. It's dated 250 AD. Now, what can we conclude from this? Well, remember, the books are hand copied. All right, so the original books were probably written well before 250 AD. To copy a large canon of most of the books of the New Testament, like the Chester Beatty Papyri, takes quite a bit of time. So we can conclude the individual books of the New Testament are completed way earlier. Now, there's another one called the Bodmer Papyri. Dates about 200 AD and contains most of the Gospel of John. And then there's another famous fragment. It's just a fragment of the Gospel of John. Just a few verses called the Rylands Fragment or the Rylands Papyri. And it was found in Egypt, dated 120 AD. From this fragment, we can conclude that the Gospel of John was completed well before 120 AD. Why is that? Well, the Gospel of John has to be written somewhere in Asia Minor where John was, then copied and copied, and somehow the copies make its way all the way down to Egypt where the Rylands fragment was discovered. Therefore, we can conclude that the original Gospel of John is written well within the first century. Okay, this is the Chester Beatty Papyri. A uh, very famous New Testament canon here, dated 250 A.D. From these ancient documents, we can conclude that the books of the New Testament are written very early within the first century A.D. Now, another line of evidence is the writings of the early church fathers. Clement of Rome, writing as early as 90 A.D., quotes from all the Gospels. Papias, writing... At 110 A.D., quotes from all the Gospels. Ignatius, Bishop of Antioch, writes 115 A.D., quoting from all the Gospels. In fact, in the first 300 years, the church fathers quote every sentence of the New Testament. Every verse of the New Testament is quoted except for 11. The church fathers then already knew of these New Testament books. They already knew who had written them that they were indeed inspired writings and part of God's inspired New Testament canon, and they're quoting them as inspired scripture. So the evidence is very compelling that the Gospels are first-generation accounts written well within the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. Now, the early dating is important for several reasons. Number one, the closer in date to the event, the more accurate your record. Second, early dating shows that eyewitnesses were alive when the Gospels were written and circulating to attest to their accuracy. And third, the time is too short for legends to develop. Historians have studied this and have shown it takes at least two to three generations for myths and legends to develop. Why is that? Well, because the eyewitnesses who can corroborate your facts as true or false have to all die and pass from the scene. And then myths and legends can creep into the text. However, the Gospels are written way too early 
for myths and legends to develop. Imagine when the gospel writers are circulating their documents in Israel, when the apostles are preaching their message, there's no way their message could have survived had it not been true. Why? There's too many eyewitnesses alive who can verify their facts as true or false. For example, imagine if I wrote a book claiming that John F. Kennedy did tremendous miracles in the cities of New York, Boston, Atlanta, and Los Angeles, that he predicted the downfall of the Soviet Union, the fall of the Berlin Wall, and the events of 9-11. And finally, I come out and say three days after he got shot, hundreds of people witnessed him alive and speaking in the city of Dallas. Now how long would my work last? Probably wouldn't last a week before it was kicked into the fiction section. Why is that? There's too many eyewitnesses who are still alive who can corroborate my evidence as true or false. Same thing with the Gospels here. They're written very early in the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. As the apostles are preaching their message, as the Gospels are circulating in the land of Israel, the eyewitnesses who witnessed these events were still alive and could verify these accounts as true or false. There's no way the Gospels would have lasted had the accounts not been true. Too many eyewitnesses, and remember, they're preaching in a very hostile arena, in a city, in a land that's doing everything they can to discredit their message because they want to put an end to Christianity. If there was anything false, or if there were exaggerations in the accounts of the apostles, the enemies of the gospel would have discredited and the message would not have lasted. Finally, do we have historical corroboration? The historical accuracy of the Gospels are confirmed by also close to a dozen non-Christian historical works. Many of these non-Christian Roman and Jewish works confirm the characters and events of the New Testament. In fact, many of these we can label anti-Christian works because if you read the works, they're very hostile to Christianity. Those of you in the law field here understand that enemy attestation is some of the most powerful evidence in court. When an enemy witness verifies the facts of your defendant's case and has no reason to do so, this is very powerful and compelling evidence. And here we have several hostile witnesses affirming the facts of the Gospels. For example, the Jewish Talmud completed in 300 AD writes a stinging account of Jesus Christ. And it says this, On the eve of the Passover, Yeshu, Jesus, was hanged for 40 days before the execution took place. A herald went forth. He is going forth to be stoned because he has practiced sorcery and enticed Israel to apostasy. Anyone who can say anything in his favor, let him come forward and plead on his behalf. But since nothing was brought forward in his favor, he was hanged on the eve of the Passover. So the Jewish Talmud affirms Jesus was a historical person. He did unique and unusual deeds that are attributed to sorcery and magic. It affirms his death by Roman crucifixion, and later the ministry of five apostles are named. Here's another important Jewish work. It is Josephus, writing in the first century. He's a Jewish historian. Much of what we know that went on in the Roman Empire in the land of Palestine comes from this man, Josephus. And in his brief paragraph here, summarizes the message of the gospel. 
At this time there was a wise man who was called Jesus. His conduct was good and he was known to be virtuous. And many people from amongst the Jews and other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die. But those who became his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion. And there he was alive. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah concerning whom prophets have recounted wonders. Here in this brief paragraph, Josephus summarizes the message of the gospel. Now, in his antiquities, he also mentions characters and events mentioned in the gospels and acts. The Herods, the emperors Augustus, Tiberius, and Claudius, the high priestly families of Caiaphas, Ananias, and Annas. He mentions John the Baptist and his death, and James, the half-brother of Jesus, and events such as the sudden death of Agrippa in Acts chapter 12 is recorded in his work, as well as how John was beheaded by Herod and the martyrdom of James, the half-brother of Jesus. We also have Roman sources. Thales wrote a work of history of Greece from the Trojan War to his present day in 52 AD. Although his work was lost, it's quoted by a guy named Julius Africanus. And Julius Africanus, quoting Thales, states that on the day Christ died, darkness covered the earth for nearly three hours. Thales explains this as a solar eclipse. But from this work, we can conclude that the passion story of Christ was known throughout the empire by 50 AD and the enemies of the gospel were already trying to give naturalistic explanations for the events around the crucifixion. Tacitus, very accurate Roman historian, wrote of Nero's persecution of the Christians and he writes this, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christus, or Christ, from whom the name has its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of the procurators Pontius Pilate and a most mischievous superstition, thus checked for the moment, again broke out not only in Judea, the first source of evil, but even in Rome. Tacitus corroborates the facts of Pontius Pilate overseeing Christ's death and that Christianity spread rapidly throughout the Roman Empire. So we have non-Christian historical works. We also have archaeology. The Gospels and Acts claim to be a historical work, and we should have historical confirmation. And this indeed we do. Hundreds of archaeological discoveries confirm the accounts of the Gospels and Acts. I'll just give you a few. For example, Luke we found to be a very accurate historian. He records 32 countries, 54 cities, 9 islands without error. In fact, his accuracy can be seen even in his details, such as the titles he used of government officials. And although some were very strange, such as Licinius, Tetrarch of Abilene, Plubius, the first man of the island of Malta, once thought mistaken, recent archaeology has found to be dead-on accurate. Now, premier New Testament historian F.F. F. Bruce writes, a man whose accuracy can be demonstrated in matters where we are able to test is likely to be accurate even where the means for testing him are not available. Accuracy is a habit of mind and we know from happy experience that some people are habitually accurate just as others can be depended upon to be inaccurate. Luke's record entitles him to be regarded as a writer of habitual accuracy. English historian Sir William Ramsey 
was a skeptic, traveled to the land of Israel and Greece for the sole purpose of discrediting Luke's account. After years of study in the land, he concluded, Luke is a historian of first rank. In short, this author should be placed along with the very greatest of historians. And he shortly gave his life to Jesus Christ thereafter. Hundreds of archaeological discoveries confirm the characters and events of the New Testament. Let me show you just a few. Here in this beautiful stadium in northern Israel in Caesarea Maritima, beautiful stadium built in about 30 AD. There you see the stadium. There's the Colosseum where they did the chariot races. And a plaque was discovered in 1961 of who made the stadium and for what purpose. And the plaque is still there and you can read it. It says this, Pontius Pilate, prefect of Judea, has dedicated to the people of Caesarea a temple in honor of Tiberius. Thus we have historical verification of Pontius Pilate, the governor who presided over the trial of Jesus, and that he ruled during the reign of Emperor Tiberius, as recorded in the Gospels. Here's another one. Just recently, in a royal chamber, the ossuary of Caiaphas, the chief priest who sentenced Jesus to death, was discovered. Here in 1968, a man was found crucified as described in the Gospels. The six-inch nails were still there in his ankles, and there is the picture of the reconstruction there. And his upper arms were found to be worn down, obviously from pulling himself up and down to breathe as he hung on the cross, matching the description of Christ's death in the Gospels. So from numerous discoveries, historical records, and internal evidence, we can conclude that the Gospels are a very early and accurate historical record of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Now the next question is this, have they been accurately preserved for 2,000 years, or have they been tampered and edited with? Well, we can say with reasonable confidence the Gospels have been very accurately preserved. How do we know that? Well, we know that by the number of ancient manuscripts that exist. The Bible is far superior to any historical work of its time. Today we have over 5,000 ancient Greek manuscripts from three different continents. This allows textual critics to study and compare manuscripts to see if there are any significant changes in the text and trace the history of the changes. And the more ancient the manuscripts that exist, the more accurate your copy is to the original. So by comparing these thousands of manuscripts, we can correct any errors that have crept in. Not only do we have ancient manuscripts, we have numerous early translations of the Bible, the Syriac, the Coptic, the Latin, and other languages by which we can compare. If that's not enough, we also have the writings of the early church fathers. The church fathers of the first 300 years quote every verse of the New Testament except 411. So even if we didn't have this plethora of ancient manuscripts, we can reconstruct the New Testament just from the quotes of the early church fathers. With such a wealth of ancient manuscripts, we can safely conclude that the New Testament has been very accurately preserved. How do other ancient documents of its time compare? Well, take a look. Tacitus, very accurate Roman historian there. How many ancient manuscripts do we have 
to compare to see if we've got an accurate copy, a well-preserved copy of his works. We have 20, the earliest a thousand years after the author's life. Look at the New Testament. We have over 5,000, the earliest, about 25 years after the life of John. The works of Plato, how many ancient manuscripts do we have to compare? We have seven, the earliest 1,200 years after the life of Plato. There is no comparison here. The Gospels are a very accurate historical work, and they have been preserved and passed down to us very accurately. They have not been changed. Well, what are the implications of what we have studied tonight? Well, number one, the Gospels are a very accurate historical work written by first century eyewitnesses or their very close associates. Number two, the Gospels have been very accurately preserved. And number three, the Gospels then give us an accurate historical account of the life of Jesus who claimed to be the divine Son of God and confirmed His claim through His unique, miraculous, sinless life, death, and resurrection. Thus, in the Gospels, we have the greatest event recorded in history. Now, I know I went through a lot of facts quite quickly. If you want to know a great place to begin, let me recommend this book here, Unless I See, comes from the words of Thomas who said, Unless I see, I will not believe. And here presents all the evidence we went through tonight and a whole lot more. Several non-Christians have come to Christ as a result of reading this. So this will equip you with the evidence you need. Effectively share your faith. Also, here's another website, probe.org. This is the ministry that I work for. Many of you, perhaps this is the first time you have heard of the compelling evidence for Christ. Well, the book presents much more. Also, here at Probe, we're a team of scholars who write on various areas of apologetics. We have scientists, we have philosophers, we have experts in cultural apologetics. I'm in the area of history and the world religions. Over a thousand articles that you can read to address the issues you're facing today. A great place to start your research from a biblical perspective. And this is Evidence and Answers, the radio show that I get to host get to interview some of the top scholars from all over the world on numerous, numerous issues. And there's other testimonies from men who have also come to Christ out of Islam. One of my favorite is Jerry Rasamni, who was a Muslim militant soldier who came to Christ. Good friend of mine, I like to call him Jihad Joe. So, great resource there, great interviews for you to listen to as you begin your journey to discover the great and compelling evidence for Jesus Christ and get equipped to engage the lost world for Jesus Christ. Well, in the Gospels then, we have the greatest event recorded in history, that the God of the universe so loved you and me that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, the Son of God who entered into our world, suffered and experienced the pain we face each day and through his death and resurrection he has made the way to everlasting life possible and a relationship with God can be yours today when you place your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and to learn about this incredible story there's no better place to begin than the New Testament books of Matthew 
Mark, Luke, and John. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. That is indeed a very accurate historical work of your son, Jesus Christ. May we cherish your word this day and always. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this concludes Pat's defense of the historical reliability of the Gospels. If you missed any part of this message, log on at evidenceandanswers.org, and you can listen to this message and hundreds of others by Pat and his guests. I know that Pat has presented a lot of information, and if you'd like to receive this information Pat presented, as well as evidences for Christianity, get a copy of Pat's new book, Unless I See, Is There Enough Evidence to Believe? In this book, Pat presents the compelling evidence for the Christian faith. This is a great book for every Christian who wants to be an effective witness for Christ in our culture today. Pat's ministry relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. And if you've been blessed by Pat's teaching, please support him in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week here on Evidence and Answers. 